Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, just for fun, why don't you give the person next to you a high five while I set up my props? Oh, yeah. Yep. All right. Thank you, Elizabeth. Okay. I have a treat for you. Some of you, at least. There's one for you. One for you. One for you. One for you. Oh, I have a lot more of these than I thought I did. Here you go. All right. I was going to. More treats. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. But, um. <laughs> Did you notice that I gave some of you treats and other of you didn't get any? That's, that's not fair. Well, it may not be fair, but they're my treats. And I have the right to give them to whoever I want, don't I? <laughs> oh. So, um, today we're going to be in, in, in Matthew 20. We're going to be reading the parable of the denarius. Um, I like parables because they're stories, and I like stories. I like stories because they help us learn principles um, that we wouldn't get from just talking. They help us empathize with people. They help us gain experience without having to go through it. And I really like stories because they convey truth more readily than any other method. It's like when you're on Facebook and you see people fighting it out in messages, in their comments, about things, but everybody listens to a story, and they're more willing to learn that truth from that story than they are from you trying to make an argument. So, and I think that's why God, um, well, Jesus used parables. A parable is just an earthly story that represents a heavenly truth. It has the quality to both reveal truth to those who want to see it, and conceal truth to those who just don't want to hear it. It seems like in this story, um, this parable, Jesus is telling his disciples um, something that they need to learn. So this this parable is right after the the discussion with the rich young ruler in chapter 19. 
So the disciples listened to Jesus tell this man to sell everything and give the prophet to the poor and follow him. And the young man said, because he goes, I'm, I'm really rich. I don't want to sell everything. I don't want to follow. He does want to follow, but he doesn't want to follow if it costs him that much. And so Peter immediately is like, wait a minute. We gave up everything to follow you. What are we going to get? And, and, you know, what is, what about us? Everything's gone. We're sleeping on the ground with you, Jesus. What are we going to get? Don't, don't I deserve something? I've done so much. And in the end, Jesus tells his disciples that those who have given up everything will receive a hundredfold and everlasting life. So the first will be last and the last will be first. However, he, want, he continues this idea into chapter 20, Let, least the disciples think that they will gain rewards by their own merit. It's kind of like, well, if you were thinking about your crown that you're going to get in heaven, I had a professor one time that we helped him move, and one of, our, one of the students said, well, what are we going to get out of it? And he goes, you get a star in your crown in heaven. And we're like, okay. But it'd be like that if we were shopping already for our crown that we're going to get. We walk into the jeweler's store and we see a nice ruby and the cost is inviting someone to church. Oh, that's not too hard. Well, there's a diamond. How much does that cost? 52 years of uninterrupted Sunday school attendance. Oh, it's a bit spendy. He, Jesus doesn't want his disciples to think that their rewards are based off of something they do. So, I'll have my, my day laborers come up and my landowner. You get a great treat. Today's scripture will be acted out. No, don't pay yet. But, but here are the denarii. There should be six. Over here. You guys are over here. You, your day laborers start in the marketplace in order of age. Okay. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> I... I I attempted Yeah, I know. I attempted to memorize the scripture so it'd be easier for me to tell the story, but uh I have a child and I didn't have enough time. I know, I do all the time. All right. For the uh, starting in chapter uh 20 verse 1, starting in verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner 
who went out in the early morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. Just one. Go over there to the, the last. There you go. About the third hour. Yeah, pick up the pom-poms. Yes. You actually have to work. (laughs) About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. You don't have to pick up all of them. You have to leave some for other people. Yeah. I did. <laughs> he went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. You're both. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can't go to work. <laughs> about the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why are you standing? been standing here all day long doing nothing because no one has hired us they answered he said you also go and work in my vineyard and when evening came the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman call the workers and pay them their wages now before we do that who has picked up the most pom-pom balls grants obviously Who, by their work, should deserve the most money out here? Grant. He picked up. That's true. He did. All right. So we all agree it's Grant. Grant deserves the most. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones he hired, going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These hired men who were hired last worked only one hour. And they they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend. I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Thank you, uh, workers. So, 
Everyone receives the same thing. Just so you know, they, they all got brownies. That was their... Grant specifically asked for that. <laughs> That's not fair. Yeah. All right. Let's see if we can dig a little deeper into this parable. There are some things we need to look at first. The first is the landowner. The landowner had need of workers. It doesn't say why he needed workers, um, but I did a little research on vineyards. Did you know that it is probably one of the most labor-intensive work out there in terms of need of laborers? So even today, it's not mechanized at all. Nothing you, you still have to go out and pick everything by hand. Um, California has a shortage of workers in their vineyards every year because they don't have enough people. It is said that the vineyard where uh, Don Perignon, I don't know, I don't drink champagne, but it's pretty, that, that one. The vineyard where that is made, they hire 3,000 extra workers every harvest season because that's how much they have to pick. So the landowner was in need of laborers. So he went to the marketplace to get them. The laborers are there in the market in need of a job. They're probably unskilled day laborers. They come to the market every day. They sit and wait until they are hired. It's like going to Home Depot and seeing the guys waiting on the side of the road who are waiting for someone to hire them. They depend on that work every day to feed their families. If they miss one day, their family goes hungry. They were living hand-to-mouth. In fact, God has something to say about these people. In Deuteronomy 24.15, it says, Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. So it is required to pay these men because they are poor. The men had to work to provide for their families. It was, it's like being worse than a slave. At least slaves know where they're going to sleep, what they're going to eat, clothing. They get, it's provided for them, but these men had to work. They would all have been relieved to get work for the day. Now let's look at the wages of the laborers. So in a lot of translations it says a wage was a denarius. And in other ones it says, it was a day's wage. I looked into that a little further because I wanted to see what a denarius was. Here it is. It's a tiny little, it's about the size of a dime. Tiny little coin, the most common coin in the Roman Empire at the time. Um, a denarius is what Roman soldiers got for a daily wage. They got one denarius a day. Day laborers got little less than one denarius. So it would be like if we were here in Oregon, the minimum wage is 1025 until July, then it goes up. And it would be like if you were working minimum wage, but the before it went up, the 
your boss said, oh, I'm going to pay you 10.50. So you have a little extra, but not, not much, but it's just a little. So a denarius would be a little extra. And that's why they were like, of course we'll work for a denarius. That's fine. We get a little extra just in case we don't work tomorrow. But that was just for the first group. The rest of them were, uh, the second group got whatever is right. And the last group didn't care at all. They just went. They're like, okay, I'm going to go work. So my question is to you, who is the most grateful of these workers? The last ones, of course, because they got, they got, and they at least got to work. So they're thinking they can get a little bit of something to take home to their families. The last ones, um, it's kind of like, let's see, if you were unathletic as a child in gym class, and you were picked, I was picked last a lot. One, I'm a girl. That doesn't help. Two, I don't throw well. So especially if you're playing something like dodgeball, they don't want you. So if you're being picked last, it's hard, right? Maybe it's the older people. Maybe they're weaker. Maybe they are sick. Maybe they have a handicap of some sort or a disability that makes it hard for people to want to hire them. The first ones, they're the young, strong ones. They can easily work. It's the last ones that are still sitting there all day. They are the most grateful. Of course, why are they still sitting there? It says the 11th hour. That's about 5 o'clock. The Jewish day is from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And at 5 o'clock, the... 11th hour workers are still sitting there in the marketplace hoping to get a job or at least not going home because they're too ashamed to go home and tell their wife, well, I didn't get another, didn't, didn't work again today. I got nothing for you. So they were most definitely the most grateful. And those who were hired last received a full day's wages. You can just hear the first ones who are hired thinking, hey, they're, they're back here in the line. They go, oh, he got one denarius for one hour. This guy's paying by hours. I'm going to get 12. And you just think, I mean, I've, have you ever been in that situation where you're like, I'm going to get more money than I thought. I can buy a TV. I can get new shoes. I have this this wish list of things that I need. Because this would have just been one day's wage. If had been 12 days' wages, they would have a lot extra. So they were already thinking of everything they could get. It makes so much sense. I would do it too. And then in the end, they only received one denarius. Originally, what was so generous, what they needed getting a little extra, and suddenly, all of a sudden, it's not so generous. They were grumbling. 
the guys that who came at five o'clock, the eleventh hour guys, they were like, "Woohoo! I'm so excited." They weren't grumbling. No, it was it was the ones who were hired first. And of course, what they're thinking is, it's not fair. This is what I think of when I think of someone saying it's not fair. Or I think of those kids with their clenched fists stomping the ground. It's not fair. Why? Why would he not give us what we deserve too? But the landowner responds, it's my money. I can do with it what I please. Or are you envious of my generosity? It is easy for us to be displeased with the success of others. So there's the idea that vandalism is worse than stealing. Simply because the person who's vandalizing is saying, hey, I can't have it. You can't have it either. The other laborers don't deserve what they got. They only worked one hour. They don't deserve it. And you have made them equal with us. I worked harder. I deserve more. It's not that um, I actually deserve more than you, but that you don't deserve the same as me. Because I did more. So, and that, that reaction's not hard to understand. I think I've been there before. <laughs> um, it doesn't seem fair. Even as children, we have this sense of fairness. I can only imagine what would have happened if I had handed out treats like that down in Children's Church with skipping some kids. Oh, my goodness. Fairness would have been a big issue. We want things to be fair. We all want to receive the same things. But it was fair. For the landowner, it was fair because the need of work tomorrow. They paid all the laborers what they needed to take care of their families. So the big question is, why is the landowner doing it this way? It's a, he's pretty generous. Uh, usually, if you run a business, you're going to go out of business if you pay people more than they make. I mean, more than they work. So, so this this landowner, he's just giving what they need. If the landowner gave any of the laborers what they deserved, would they have gotten what they received? Even those who were hired first? No. He didn't pay them what they deserved. He paid them what they needed. And he didn't pay them based on what they worked or based on merit. 
None of them deserved what they got. He paid them out of his grace. But what does that mean? So we have to look at what grace means. And I have to tell you, I looked it up a couple times. And I looked, and I looked, and I looked. I pulled out some theological books, too, not just dictionaries. I tell you, it was hard work. But actually, the best definition I found is for children. And uh, we're going to look at this week. I like that video. Um, Grace clearly shows the heart of the vineyard owner. So who is the vineyard owner? God. God is the vineyard owner. God calls the laborers into his vineyard to work. And the vineyard is his kingdom. The kingdom is wherever a king reigns, so the vineyard is God's kingdom. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us. Where has God shown us grace? Amazing grace, yeah. Where we could see that most clearly is on is what Christ did on the cross for us. He took what was meant to be unforgivable and made it forgivable. But the number one thing we need to remember about God's grace is it's not about us. It never has been, it never will be. It is all about what God has done. It's not about us it's all about what christ has done for us that's grace it's not yours to take it's god's to give it's not yours to work for it's god's to give it's not something you can gain by merit It is simply something that God gives. Grace is all about God and what he does and how he interacts with us. He calls us the same way the vineyard called the laborers. He calls us. He invites us. And we can either choose to respond to his grace or not. It's very simple. But... What effect should God's grace have on us? How does it transform us? Because that's really all of what it's all about. Who do you identify with the most in the parable? Do you identify with the first laborer or their last laborer? So... For a lot of us, especially if you're 
uh, been in the church for a long time, you probably identify with the first one. I've been here, going back to the exact 52 years of uninterrupted Sunday school attendance. I've been here. I've been doing this. This is what I do. This is my ministry. Yes. So, and, that, and that's the way our culture is, too. What happens if you don't work? Well, you don't deserve anything, do you? I work. I deserve what I get. It's, I hear that a lot with... Um, I'm going to call my mother out. She's not going to appreciate me. But uh, she'll be like, well, they didn't work for it. Why do they get food? So, uh, <laughs> sorry. But that's, that's the idea. And even Paul says that. You work, you work and you get what you can get. But what happens when you bring that type of thinking into Christianity? Oh, by the way, I am waiting for an answer. I am a children's pastor. All we do is answer questions. <laughs> yeah, tell me your answer, Neil. Oh, okay. Good. Well, that's not good, I mean, but I have an answer. Um, you move away from grace. Um, it's easy for us to see from the perspective of all the things we've given up to follow God. That's easy for us to see. Instead of looking at what we've gained by following God. We think, God owes me. Look what I did. Well, it's boasting. We try not to do that. Our, we do a humble brag in Christianity, I feel, a lot. Oh, well, that's good that you did that. Did you see what I did? We don't. We try not to boast. But it happens. Is salvation about getting what I deserve? It's really hard for us, the longer we've been Christian, to see it that way. But those new believers, those 11th hour guys, it's really easy for them to see it because it's so fresh. That's why it's so important. I'll tell you this. It's so important to keep evangelizing and getting new believers in so that we can have fresh that fresh outlook on life. Sometimes we play that comparison game of... Um, We look at someone else's life and we say, look at all that God's given them. Look at all that grace they have. What about me? I went, I could use my mother as an example. <laughs> she gave her testimony today and she is talking about trusting in God for all these things. And yet it still didn't happen. It's that idea of what about me, God? It's not fair. I had this. I had this one one time. So, 
I worked in a youth group at, uh, in Boise, and we had uh, a youth member there, and, and we, we kind of stayed in touch. And so I went to the Philippines, and I saw this, this post that she had that she was going to be getting married. Not only was she going to be get married, she already had a kid. So, like, um, she had all these, like, uh, what's the word, stages of life that I hadn't had yet. And I, <laughs> she was way younger than me. And I sat there, and my little pity party inside of me said, God, seriously? What about me? I'm 31 years old and I'm not married yet. What about me? I gotta go home and I gotta listen to that question. So, is there anything interesting going on in your life? I did meet my husband, so that was that was helpful. But but I had that initial reaction of. God, what about me? Where is my reward? I, I specifically actually didn't date anyone after, well, after I came back to the church. I didn't date anyone unless they were saying, oh, I'll be a missionary too. No problem. Because I was like, Phew, I have a call on my life. God has this call. I need to marry someone who has the same call. Otherwise, we're going to be button heads like this the whole 75 years. That's the goal. <laughs> so, but that's, it's very easy for us to see that, to see the blessings on other people's lives and say, God, that's not fair. It's like this next, here's poor Calvin. He says, why, uh, why can't I stay up late? You guys can. It's not fair. And his dad said, the world isn't fair. And I like what Calvin says here. He says, I know, but why isn't it ever unfair in my favor? <laughs> and we, can, we, we sit there in that a lot sometimes when we have our little pity parties. And I think sometimes it's okay to have a pity party as long as you get out of it. It's, we love grace when it comes to us. The problem is, is when it goes to someone else. See, it's easy for us to figure out the system of law. That's easy. I do this, this, and this, and I get this. It's very, it's very easy. I have a list of do's and don'ts. I promise God if I don't do this, that, um, You'll do this for me, God. That's how we work that system out. But that's not how God works. We feel like God's not treating us fairly, or we look down at others. And how do we fight this attitude? How do we identify with those who were hired last? So Paul has something to say about this in Ephesians. 2, 8, and 9. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
You can do what you do as a Christian out of duty, or you can do it from grace. What does that supper table look like for the 11th hour worker, the last guy? I'll tell you what it looks like. It's full. Not only that, he went by the marketplace to buy the food. He told the vendors, guess what happened to me today? I worked one hour and I got a full day's wage. He goes home and he tells his family about it. Guess what happened today? See, all this food. Yesterday we had nothing. Today we have everything. I, and you can guarantee that he'll be back at the marketplace looking for that vineyard owner again. He had nothing, and they got everything. Enough of what he needs. You wouldn't be able to shut him up about it. He'd be telling everyone. You would not be able to stop him. He would tell you. He would tell me. He'd tell the guy down on the street corner. Anyone he could tell, guess what happened to me today? I had nothing, and now I have everything. Living from grace compels us to tell others about it. And that is the number one thing. That if nothing else, you look at your life and you say, where is my grace? Where has God given me grace? And you go and tell someone about that. Because God, even even if you feel like, because I'll, I'll say this, growing up in the church, sometimes you don't have that um, miracle transformation that other people have. You were always Christian, and you were always going to be Christian. That's My sister Tilly is like that. She never left the church. She became Christian. She continued living, living it. So she doesn't have this story of grace, but she still has God's grace in her life. And she can still tell others about it. So if, you, if, if nothing else, you take nothing else from this, go tell someone about the grace God has given you. Because it's not about you. It's about what God has done for you. For me, for everyone. All right. Let's pray. And I'm not going to do this like we do in Children's Church. Children's Church, we have everyone give us pray by themselves, one by one. We won't do that today. 